The race is on. Many San Diegans have already voted in this election, but due to the pandemic, there's still more than two weeks to make your final decisions on your local races. On this special election episode of San Diego News Fix, we'll be discussing several key races affecting different parts of San Diego County. Here's what you need to know. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Michael Smolens, you're the Union-Tribune's political columnist, and you've been through many an election in San Diego County. Before we get to the specifics of these countywide races, can you give us a lay of the land? What are some of the key trends that have been changing in San Diego? How has the region voted in the past, and how are things likely to change in 2020? Well, the, the, the key trend has been ongoing, and it's not a secret. San Diego, for the last couple of decades, is becoming more democratic. Long ago, and some people still refer to it as a Republican town, it is very much not a Republican town. It hasn't progressed as far in the Democratic trend uh, as quickly as San Francisco and Los Angeles, uh, but uh, it's been moving in that direction. And so you, you'll see that reflected in most of the elections uh in the county, both at the you know the federal level with Congress and even Board of Supervisors and City Council, uh, that dynamic is really at play on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. And in what ways do you expect this election will be different because of the pandemic? Well, uh, it's a lot different in terms of how people are voting in certain ways, but in some respects, it, it isn't. They're, they're front-loading things. What's really happening is people are voting a lot earlier, both in San Diego County and statewide. Fortunately, in San Diego County and in California, we're very familiar with mail ballots. I think like two, three quarters of the voters, both San Diego County and the state of California has, uh, you know, an overwhelming number of mail ballot voters, permanent mail ballot voters, about three quarters of the registered voters do that. So even in normal times, we're used to this kind of process. More people will be even voting that way this time around. So it won't be as uh, unique or disruptive as it will be in other states and regions. However, the the in-person voting on election day will be much different where we have regional voting centers. So that will take getting some use to, particularly for older voters, I think, that are used to going to their neighbor's house or the church down the street. Uh, They're not going to be able to do that in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some of the specific races themselves. Let's start with uh, the congressional races that are occurring in the region. Can you tell us a little bit about our current congressional delegation in San Diego County? Well, again, as reflective of the county's history, it has gone from predominantly Republican to predominantly Democrat. uh, uh, There's a five-member delegation, and it had been split along a 3-2 line in recent years with three Democrats and two Republicans. That's changed up in North County. The 49th district has uh, was, you know, a so-called purple district moving to a Democratic uh, 49th district has been moving towards a Democratic voter registration advantage for some time. That's really speeded up. Uh, that's not even considered a contested district in this election. So really, it does come down to the 50th district in East County, which is has been a Republican bastion. But uh, in this weird year for very varying circumstances, that's a highly contested race now. Hmm. And uh, one of the more interesting races is a Democrat-on-Democrat race in the 53rd District. Here's Andrew Dyer. Well, the uh, race in the 53rd is to replace uh, longtime Representative Susan Davis. Uh, 
she was first elected in 2000 in what was then the 49th district um, over uh, after the 2000 census and the 2010 census uh, and redistricting. Um, it became the uh, 53rd in um, after the 2000 census, moved a little bit eastward. Um, it used to be a, a coastal district. Um, and then after the, the 2010 census, it moved even more eastward. And so now it's uh, kind of that urban core of San Diego, uh, the neighborhoods um, right around Balboa Park. It kind of straddles the, uh, the 8 freeway uh, going east before coming south uh, through uh, Lemon Grove, Spring Valley, and um, Chula Vista. It's um, basically all of Chula Vista east of 805 is, uh, is a 53rd. I'm Andrew Dyer, and I'm covering the 53rd Congressional District race for the Union Tribune. The candidates are um, City Council President Georgia Gomez and Sarah Jacobs. This race is interesting because of the, the top two system in, in California where we have two Democrats um, running against each other. And when you look at their policy positions, the stuff that they talk about, the things they think are important, um, they agree on almost everything. They're, they're both support like things like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All. Um, so they both represent this progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Georgia Gomez, um, having been on city council since 2016, um, is kind of pointing to her experience on the council as being um, preparing her for uh, for Congress. Um, or as Sarah Jacobs points to her time um, as a contractor in the State Department um, and working as an advisor to, to Hillary Clinton um, as her experience um, when it comes to policy and, and the federal government. Georgette Gomez has really ran a campaign kind of built around her identity as a gay Latino woman uh, with a working class background. You know, she did not grow up in an economically privileged environment as opposed to Sarah Jacobs, who is a multimillionaire and the granddaughter of billionaire Qualcomm co-founder Erwin Jacobs. I think if you're looking for a distinction between the two candidates, at least when it comes to the uh, the campaign the, that uh, Gomez is running, that's the difference that 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 Georgia Gomez points at. It's like you know she comes from these neighborhoods and she's part of this community and and her her campaign messaging is very much community focused. Um, Sarah Jacobs is much more policy driven um, when she talks about uh, running for Congress or what she would do in Congress. Um, she has. Uh, she talks a lot about you know, foreign policy, domestic policy. She's more of the, the policy one um, than Georgia Gomez, who is much more community focused. So we, we did commission a poll uh, along with 10 news um, in the district of, of likely voters and found that um, Sarah Jacobs has a, a double digit lead over Georgia Gomez, but that Sarah Jacobs, even with that lead, um, she has about 40% support. Um, now, there are just as many undecided voters in the district. So these 
these uh, are votes that are um, up for grabs, essentially. I think in addition to all the other dynamics that are going on, what you're seeing here is a bit of the generational changing of the guard. Both Georgette Gomez and Sarah Jacobs are, uh, are, are young people. Uh, Susan Davis, uh, as Andrew had mentioned, has been in Congress for some 20 years. And so you're seeing that more and more come to pass uh, as uh, older generations, uh, you know, kind of fade out and, and new ones, new uh, candidates come in. Mm-hmm. And these Democrat on Democrat races, how long have they been occurring in San Diego County? Because that's clearly a big shift from what you normally see. Well, it happened statewide with uh, the, the uh, you know, the top two primary, which was passed about uh, a decade ago. And you still don't see that many races like that, even in the most Democratic or the most Republican district. There's enough voters in the, the lesser party or the minority party in those districts to get behind a candidate. So usually it's still a partisan, uh, you know, November election. But in certain cases like that, that's a very heavily Democratic and very liberal and progressive district. So it's it's one of the few you see in the state where you do have two candidates of the same party. Yeah, it does make me wonder a little bit um, because that primary occurred on Super Tuesday for the Democratic primary. This was before Joe Biden had his big wins in the South that kind of pushed him over the top over Bernie Sanders. So maybe that increased push, be it the Warren or Buttigieg voters, kind of caused this race to occur. A uh, very good point. Uh, what actually caused it to occur, who knows? But that certainly gave a boost to the notion that, that two Democrats could rise. It, let's put it on the flip side. Uh, if it was a heavily contested Republican presidential primary and not so much a Democratic one, you might have had a better chance of a Republican being in there with a Democrat rather than two Democrats. Mm-hmm. And the other race that we're watching is the 50th district, which is in East County. And the Union Tribune has been writing about issues about this race and before this race for quite some time. Here's Charles Clark. California's 50th congressional district uh, covers most of eastern San Diego County, parts of inland North County, uh, and a southern portion of Riverside County. Uh, For most of the past four decades, it had been represented by a Republican man named Duncan Hunter, Uh, First, Duncan Hunter Sr., then Duncan D. Hunter. Uh, Duncan D. Hunter, as we've covered extensively, uh, got himself in some serious legal trouble, uh, ultimately had to resign from his seat and is on his way to federal prison. Um, And in the aftermath, you know, this seat has become kind of wide open. I'm Charles Clark, and I cover politics and county government at the San Diego Union Tribune. So this race has two contenders Uh, One is Daryl Issa, who is familiar to many people in San Diego County. He represented northern San Diego County for 18 years uh, in what is the 49th congressional district. Uh, He stepped away and did not seek re-election to that seat in 2018, but now has moved east and is running in what is certainly friendlier terrain uh, for conservatives. Uh, He is most known for his time on the House Oversight Committee, where he was proudly the chief antagonist of former President Barack Obama. On the other side, you have Amar Kampanajar, someone who is also pretty familiar to people now. He's 31 years old. He ran for the seat against Duncan Hunter in 2018, came uh, just under about 3.4 percentage points uh, within beating him, which was a shock to many uh, for a first-time candidate. Now he's hoping he can get over the hump by really preaching this message of uh, country over party. 
So this race is also happening, you know, during a very interesting time for the region, particularly East County. Uh, obviously, racial justice protests have come to the forefront this summer. Uh, and East County is arguably the area in San Diego County that has struggled the most with that. And you've seen a real pushback to the presence of Black Lives Matter activists, uh, the emergence of uh, far right groups like Defend East County, uh, which traffic in conspiracy theories and some other unsavory elements and have been a constant presence, uh, counter-protesting racial justice protesters. And really this, you know, all is happening as the demographics of the region are changing as well, right? This was a, this is a region that was overwhelmingly Republican. Um, it's now still favors Republicans, but it's definitely shifting, right? As, as one political scientist put it to me, you know, San Diego County as a whole, as a region is moving toward what LA and San Francisco are. We're just 20 years behind them. So really, you know, for this kind of last bastion of, you know, quote, conservative politics, you know, they lose it here. And this is probably the end game. As of early October, polling shows that this is truly a statistical dead heat. We've had three consecutive polls that have showed these guys in a statistical tie when you account for the margin of error. So it's truly anyone's guess. So after hearing from Charlie what do you think the chances are that the district will flip? Well, we'll find out. Uh, they're a lot better than anybody would have imagined. Now, as Charlie had pointed out, that district, it's a little unique. It's not just the, the blue wave trend that's happening. Uh, there's a lot going on. We had the indictment and uh, conviction and the uh, retirement of the incumbent who was had been very strong in there, as he, he had mentioned. So... He, You've got a candidate, and Amar Kampanajar, who's been running literally for, for four years for this two-year seat. And instead of a, a Republican really from the district, you've got Daryl Issa, who's a well-known former congressman, but he is a bit of an outsider in that district. And I think on top of everything else, just the turmoil basically created by Donald Trump, that's a district that did support him heavily. But I think that there's a lot of reconsidering uh, that's happening in this race. Uh, the big question will be is... If Amar Kampanajar can hold on and win, what happens in two years? Is this just sort of a temporary blip, or is this another seat that will be turning permanent blue? I think it'll be tough to make that argument for the latter uh, until we see some elections down the line. Yeah, certainly. And uh, Amar Kampanajar got some criticism from members of the left by being a part of a Defend East County conversation earlier this week. So, you know, that liberal coalition may not be as strong as, you know, a more traditional Democrat would be, but that district demographically is very different from the rest in the region. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's not the first time that, that, that uh, Kampanajar has kind of, you know, tried to play, uh, uh, you know, different uh, sides uh, as he, depending on the audience he's talking to. And some uh, progressives have called him out on that in the past. His race is being promoted and elevated by the uh, national Democrats, but they're not full on in yet. They have a lot of races that are bigger priorities right now. We'll see. I think that in the next week or so, if it looks like he's really on the bubble, he might get a big infusion of uh, some money from the, the, the party to push him over the edge. But, you know, again, people are voting very heavily now, so uh, it's all happening. Yeah, certainly. When it comes to congressional races where you could get that, you know, injection of cash, it's curious to see where that will go. Because if so many people are voting in states, big states like New York, Texas, California, 
I wonder if that changes the calculation of where do you put your last, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars when it comes down to the wire. I, I think it, it just depends. The parties really look into the weeds on this stuff. And is there one race that 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 they weren't prioritizing that looks like they can help out? Uh, for instance, when we started out the, in this uh, campaign cycle, the 49th district, Mike Levin, the Democratic incumbent, uh, first term uh, congressman, uh, you know, that looked like it was going to be the real contested race. It looks like he's running away with it. So while the Democrats are not going to, you know, going to make sure that, that nothing wrong happens, they might be able to shift any resources they thought might go there somewhere else. Maybe Kampanajar, but again, there's, uh, you know, a good half dozen or more districts that are still of big concerns to Democrats uh, across the state beyond the 50th. Mm-hmm. And moving away from Congress to the County Board of Supervisors, can you give us uh, County Board of Supervisors 101? Uh, what's some of the key historical facts to know about this governing body? And how are these races, on a broad sense, shaping up? Well, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but again, uh, a lot of it has to do with the, the changing political demographics. Uh, the county board has been dominated by Republicans for more than two decades. Uh, that is uh, starting to change. It's changing for a couple reasons. One, because, uh, you know, the changing political demographics, San Diego County becoming more dem- democratic. But also, not very long ago, they went to term limits. And if you look at, so you're not going to have people that can serve for, for, for two decades there. They're just eight years. San Diego City Council went that way a long time ago. And that's why I think you've seen over the last couple of decades so much more focus on the city of San Diego because the politics are a lot more dynamic, more volatile. There's more changeover. Uh, It's just been more interesting, frankly, even though uh, the county is bigger, it controls more money and frankly, probably touches more lives than than any one city, certainly. Uh, So those two things have have kind of made the County Board of Supervisors a lot more interesting uh, politically whereas the city of San Diego sort of was the big political and media focus for some time. Also, there, there's been you know, the, the city of San Diego, City Hall has been the real focus of the political world and the, the media world, uh, in part because it's been, um, you know, there's been a lot of shakeup there. Over the last decade, they've had seven mayors. Uh, a few have left under duress, uh, you know, criminal uh, convictions and so forth. So it's been much more controversial there, and they've had, frankly, more scandals. Mm-hmm. And here's Charlie again explaining the Board of Supervisors races. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors are, I would say, undoubtedly the most important municipality in the entire San Diego region. It is the body that has the most impact on people's day to day lives. Uh, however, for a long time, people really didn't realize it. You know, they control uh, health and human services, mental health services, housing development. Um, they also are the chief law enf- oversight for law enforcement in the unincorporated communities. They really touch just about everything. They also are kind of the leader when it comes to shaping the transit, uh, you know, vision for the region. However, now, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that people have been seeing the county supervisors at the forefront because they are the chief uh, officers responsible for public health. And now people are taking greater interest as they see just how much of a role these guys play in people's lives. I'm Charles Clark, and I cover the County Board of Supervisors for the San Diego Union Tribune. Uh, So the premier race that everyone is watching and is already the premier race in San Diego County this election cycle is the District 3 Board of Supervisors race. 
which pits Republican incumbent Kristen Gaspar against progressive Democrat Tara Lawson-Reamer. She's an economist and a former uh, senior advisor under Obama's Treasury Department. This race is getting all the attention because it'll determine the political balance of the board, which currently sits with four Republicans and one Democrat. It has not favored Democrats um, in many, many decades, if ever. Uh, so this is really a huge opportunity for local Democrats uh, to really shape a more progressive view for the region. You know, we also have two other Board of Supervisors races that although do not get the attention of D3, understandably, they also do have a pretty uh, significant impact because although they include candidates who are of the same party in each race, uh, they couldn't be more different. So in District 1, which includes most of the South Bay, uh, you have Nora Vargas, uh, a healthcare advocate and community college trustee. Uh, versus State Senator Ben Huesa, who's very much been the career politician. He went from, you know, Board of Education to City Council to State Assembly to State Senate. Now he's coming back here. Uh, one definitely is more comfortable embracing uh, her progressiveness and open it, and the other is definitely uh, seems to see his path to victory as peeling off Republicans in what is a overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly Democratic district. Uh, the other you know, race that everyone's watching for the Board of Supervisors is the District 2, which includes much of East County. Longtime incumbent supervisor, Diane Jacob, who will go down as the longest serving uh, county supervisor and I believe longest serving government official in San Diego history, uh, is finally leaving due to term limits. She is still widely popular in the region. Running to replace her are Poway Mayor Steve Voss, who many have probably recognized around town or on TV because of his prominent cowboy hat, uh, especially when he was you know, really at the forefront of leading the community following the Poway Synagogue shooting. Um, he is a Republican. You also have, you know, Republican former state Senator Joel Anderson, who has represented much of East County, uh, still very popular in the district. Uh, but, you know, the person who Diane has endorsed to, you know, uh, replace her is Steve Voss. Uh, she likes to, you know, she jokingly said, you know, if people like the queen, they want to know who the queen uh, prefers, and that's who she prefers. Uh, and that race is also important because if this board does routine Republican control, um, you you are facing a case, right, where Steve Voss has not been supported by the local Republican Party. Uh, so he is unlikely to be as partisan, right? He, he really has no loyalty to them or no need to be loyal to them, uh, similar to who would be his predecessor in Diane Jacob, who has virtually no relationship with the, Repub the local Republican Party. On the other hand, Joel Anderson has been chosen for the seat for that by the Republican Party as far back as 2016. Uh, so it, it seems in all likelihood he certainly uh, would lean more in that direction. I've covered the County Board of Supervisors for two years. I've been to more than 100 meetings in that time. Uh, and traditionally, all you see show up are people who are really, really invested, right? The activists and things like that. However, you've seen this interesting shift, you know, in light of the pandemic where, you know, although meetings are virtual, you're getting greater attendance and greater participation than ever before. Stories we write about the County Board of Heroes are getting read more than ever before because people are finally understanding just how crucial county government is to their day-to-day -day lives. So when we look at these three Board of Supervisors races, this really is going to be the thing that determines what people's community and what San Diego County looks like for the next decade. After hearing that from Charlie, kind of thinking ahead a little bit, do you see Republicans in San Diego County 
changing the tone. I mean, there's lots of, you know, forecasting of what would a post-Trump Republican Party look like. But in many ways, San Diego County Republicans have been in a different space than the national politics. Do you expect to see maybe like, you know, Mayor Kevin Falconer becoming a board of supervisor or, you know, some kind of shift like that, that, you know, would change the party in a different direction from what the current national conversation is? Well, I think in a broader sense, the Republicans have a lot of work to do in San Diego and in California, uh, maybe even nationwide, depending on how this uh, this uh, election goes. Uh, the, the party has actually sort of retrenched. Uh, you know, back decades ago, it was clear that Republicans held the governor's office. They held several uh, of the constitutional offices and their voter registration was up. It's really spiraled downhill in large part because they've alienated uh, Latinos whose demographically have grown and politically have grown, uh, you know, through Proposition 187 and uh, just haven't really made the good effort to, to court Latinos and bring them in. There were more Latino uh, uh, voters, at least proportionally back then. Uh, they also have not adapted to the diversity of the state, which again does reflect the Latino population, but other populations, uh, they've, they've sort of become, you know, stayed with a lot of the rural and suburban uh, approaches towards politics where the state has become much more urbanized, much more Democrat, much more democratic, and they they haven't really adjusted. So I think they really need to try to retool that. There's some signs of doing that. There's some new people coming in at the state and local level, uh, but they're going to have to do that in a big way and really rethink things. Now you mentioned Mayor Kevin Faulkner. We'll see, he's termed out at the end of this year. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about him potentially running for governor. He is probably the, you know, not probably, he is the best known Republican statewide. And, and some time ago uh, when his name was being floated about, he polled reasonably well. It still will be a tough climb for any Republican to, to win the governorship or a statewide office these days, but they need to start. And at least he presents a moderate image as opposed to some of the more conservative anti-abortion pro-gun rights uh, kind of candidates they've had in the past. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And uh, looking ahead to election night itself, what are your plans? How are you planning on, you know, covering this election? Well, it'll be a challenge for all of us. I think that that the, uh, the, the, the big rule of thumb is, is to, you know, be cautious. We've learned uh, that, that, you know, increasingly with each election cycle that, that the re results in California, and we'll see also in other parts of the country now, because of the mail ballots can come in on election day and a lot do, we might not know the results of certain uh, races. So uh, there's always that pressure, both in uh, you know the print and, uh, and uh, visual media to, to call early. But I think that, that given the intensity of this election and the certainty that some things are gonna be left hanging, We'll just have to kind of look at what's happening at the time and and analyze it that way without overstepping things. So it'll be tough because it might not be as exciting. It might not. It might be seem a little more boring to say, uh, you know, time will tell. But uh, that would be the better part of valor than uh, to take a leap uh, and get it wrong. Mm, certainly. And uh, looking California or even nationwide, are there any other races that you find particularly interesting? Well. Apart from the presidential race, the, the U.S. Senate race is really the, the race. Is, that's really the key. I'd be totally shocked unless every poll and all of us are misreading things. The, the notion that the, the Democrats losing the House back to Republicans just does not seem in the cards. 
uh, whether the Democrats can take over the Senate and the White House, I mean, that would be a huge sea change. Uh, that's, you know, it doesn't mean things will work smoothly. There are divisions in the Democratic Party. But, but anyway, getting back to your question beyond uh, the presidential race, uh, what happens with the U.S. Senate is going to be the, the real uh, other big story for that night, at least nationwide. It's just been the, the wildest year, and, uh, you know, it won't be over. I mean, you know, the divisions of this country aren't going to end uh, you know, after the election, uh, there's going to be a lot of work to do. And, and a big question is, will they just be exacerbated by the results? Uh, will will there, there, you know, be efforts to successful efforts to try to calm things down and bring things together? Because it's it's a, not a good picture in the country right now. That's a, a lot of animosity. And uh, uh, hopefully that, um, you know, cooler heads and, and some unifying people can come together, but it's going to be tough. This partisan split and the division in the country has been happening. It's been building for some time. It's not going to go away overnight. Yeah. And it's worth noting that, you know, not just this partisanship that's got more intense, but due to the pandemic and the economic effects of that, people are suffering. People have really felt trauma this year. And as a nation, we are going to need to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you only hope that we're going to start moving forward. Uh, you know, there's that fear that, you know, a second wave of the pandemic, uh, worse economic times will come. And, uh, you know, how long we can keep, you know, trying to put forth uh, some stimulus programs uh, until things really catch up uh, is going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. All right. Michael Smolens, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. And now one more thing. Housing has always been an issue in Southern California, and in Santee, voters will decide whether to approve a large development. The geography matters here. While the region needs more housing, building out, instead of up, has its risks. In Santee, voters will be weighing in on Measure M. It's also known as the General Plan Protective Initiative. Um, What it'll do is it's going to change the General Plan, which is Santee's blueprint for growth. Um, to allow the voters to weigh in on zoning changes that would be coming for developments in the city of Santee. So um, the measure talks about changing density and intensifying land uses. So that that could mean um, different home R1 to R2, uh, different designations for certain homes, and it could also mean for developments that are going to change the city's allowable, um, how many houses you can have on a certain amount of area uh, of land in the city. So it's going to change the law so that different properties will be able to uh, change, but it has to get voters approval to do that. I'm Karen Perlman. I cover East County for the Union Tribune. So housing has always been an issue in San Diego County. There's the arena numbers that have to be met. And other cities have also had different uh, measures that have been passed by voters in the years past that speak to uh, either allowing the voters to have a say in it or referendums that stop the building of certain developments that have been planned um, because of the changes uh, in zoning that would be required. And uh, also fire hazards are part of this, too, because the obviously uh, California is in the middle of big hugest firestorms of all time and these new developments that are being built in areas that have large uh, squads of land all over um, 
they're talking about how safe it is for people to get in and out of the uh, of a development in case of a fire. And that's, in fact, one of the uh, biggest proponents versus opponents of Measure N in Santee is about the fire hazards. Thanks for listening to another special episode of your San Diego News Fix. On the next election episode, you'll hear about key races affecting the city of San Diego. If you're just joining us now, look back into the feed and you'll see previous election episodes on how endorsements work and how voting will work this election. Until next time.